Welcome to Silicon Valley Momentum, where advisor and author Roland Siebeling talks all things tech startups and brings you interviews with founders across the world. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to the Silicon Valley Momentum podcast. My name is Roland Siebeling, and I'm a scale-up ally for tech founders. This week, I am honored to have as our very special guest, Larry Tully, who is the founder and CEO of Everywhere. Hello, Larry. Hey, how's it going, Roland? Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me here today. Very good, very good. So everywhere, tell us, Larry, what do you do and who do you make a difference for in the world with your products? Mm -hmm. So everywhere is a communication and payments platform. What that means is basically we use communication as a way to solve problems fast for collecting money. Mm -hmm. So if you think about a text message sent at the right moment or the right time, in 140 characters or less, you can start collecting, right? So whether it's healthcare or making a car payment or you know somebody that owes you money, collecting money, especially during COVID now with where it's mm -hmm. contactless and touchless, everywhere is a great way to connect and collect from your customers. That's awesome. How long have you been doing this? I'm assuming you were active before COVID hit the markets, right? Yeah, we had like the pre-COVID and post-COVID or actually not even post-COVID yet, right? We're still, <laughs> we're, still, we're still in it, man. And yeah, you know, it was exciting technology. I originally built it for hotels and resorts about five years ago. Okay. And and, you know, in the travel industry, travel is considered high risk. In other words, you know, you book your vacation typically three or four months out. It could be for that cruise. And, you know, the travel industry struggles with refunds, cancellations and chargebacks. Mm -hmm. and what I found that, you know, working in that industry really was just the lack of communication or the fact that I just didn't want to pick up the phone and wait on hold for 20 minutes. Right. right. But if I can send a text message, man, that is so much easier. So for the hotels and resorts, it was a great way to use text messaging to help upgrade people prior to your arrival, but also a great way to mitigate risk, right? Mitigate risk associated with a credit card transaction when it's not present. So think about making an e-commerce transaction, right? That's considered high risk. You can easily go ahead and go to your bank account and click fraud and dispute a credit card charge. And right. that's tough for a travel company, especially mm -hmm. even through, throughout COVID. Mm -hmm. So think of everywhere now, more or less like a crisis management platform where you're able to get a hold of your customers, mm -hmm. right? You're able to solve these problems fast before they escalate. And ultimately, you help protect merchant accounts, you know, especially for travel. So mm -hmm. pre-COVID, it was helping companies get introduced to this new payment method. And now in COVID, it's like you can't live without it. So it sucks for a lot of companies that are really struggling throughout COVID, but it feels good like we're offering up a solution for people to pay their bills and still have a, a conversation with their customers in a convenient way. Very good. So before we go a little bit more into the product, Larry, can you talk a little bit about the history of how you uh, got to this product? I think you said you were working in the hospitality uh, travel industry. Yeah, so I was working in the hospitality, and again, I was using it as a way to help connect and collect with guests prior to arrival, but ultimately what I realized is that I was solving all these issues around payments, and man, mm -hmm. what would it look like, you know, especially with a name like Everywhere, if I can apply this thinking to other verticals, like collecting like a car payment, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody that misses a car payment, maybe they lost their job, typically they just send them like statements or they pound them with phone calls, and you know, it's easy to just hit ignore. But if I send somebody a text message, say, hey, Roland, sorry, you missed your car payment. You know, what's going on? And simply yeah. ask you a question, Roland will reply back, hey, man, sorry, I lost my job. Mm -hmm. All right, awesome. No problem. Hey, I'll give you two or three months. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it's 
that type of communication mm-hmm. and you can apply that thinking now paying your medical bills. A lot of times, you know, medical bills are unexpected. You know, nobody wants to get hit with a three or $4,000, you know, medical bill, totally unexpected. Tell me about it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, everywhere is a great way to figure out like, Hey, maybe you can't afford to pay the whole thing, but how much are you willing to pay? Like, can you pay greater than zero? What, what, what does that amount look like? So ultimately, we built some bot technology, implemented a strategy that gave us another layer of communication when it came to collecting money to really figure out why somebody was going to be delinquent before they actually became delinquent, right? Mm. Because then nobody wins. So it's exciting to see this technology. It's not just with everywhere. I mean, you're seeing it now where it was a, a simple appointment reminder for your doctor's office. Now it's a reminder that you owe that doctor money. That's amazing. So you said it's primarily a ball technology, right? So when we talk a little bit more about the product, so how far does it enter into, let's say, the back-end operations, the, the services for the people that are at the provider, the, whether it be the bank or the car company or the car loan company in this case? How, how do you see that? And is there like a service component there as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. So really, it works hand in hand with the call center. Mm-hmm. So if you think about a call center today, typically might have, you know, 100 different agents. Yeah. And what we found that, you know what I mean, each agent can only take one phone call at a time, they can't talk to two people. But with a text message, you can have 15 conversations because everyone can reply on their own time. Yeah. So better yet, you know, what if you have a bot that's able to help out with the frequently asked questions? You know, the mm-hmm. questions that you have a pattern, right, that you see over and over again, that you can have the bot respond. And then the agent can just jump in and actually pause the bot and continue the conversation. And the consumer really doesn't even know the difference. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just seeing 140 characters or less come across your screen because everything we do for the most part, it's, you know, highly personalized. It's high rolling. This is Ivy. Well, Ivy's a bot. So that's right. it's, coming from, it's coming from real phone numbers. So we're not using short codes. So again, we're playing off of the consumer's behavior. In other words, you behave differently when you see a short code come across your phone. You treat it more like a one-way notification, like reply one or a C or mm-hmm. something like that. Ours come across like real phone numbers, so you don't mm-hmm. know the difference, right? And if you call the phone number that's texting you, you're going to speak to a live agent. So that just kind of plays off of your behavior. And that's the great thing about everywhere. We're able to use that behavior as a way to help people that owe money pay, make it Mm -hmm. convenient. Yeah, very good. So let's talk about the underlying thinking around vertical strategies. So, you know, many of the startups I talk to when they're growing and they're finding their go-to market, they're looking at verticalization. But the question I always get is, is this just the packaging thing? So basically the marketing, product marketing people can do it, or do you actually have to adapt your product for each vertical and have different versions or different forks of it? What's your thinking about that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So my thinking behind it was, man, there are so many companies out there, these ISVs, these technology companies that are already in all these verticals versus mm-hmm. me going door to door to try to convince them to use our platform chances are, you know, they're already with someone that needs our technology. So everywhere targets the ISVs. We target the technology provider that's already providing software for the doctor's offices or the insurance or auto companies or the nonprofits. So the startups that I talk to that are considering such an indirect go-to market then often ask me two questions. One is, how do I even get started? Do I have the credibility to 
sell my offer to one of these partners? Are they even interested in working with me? And maybe as a consequence of that also, how can I retain enough margin to keep my business viable rather than the partner walking away with the bulk of the money? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And, um, you know, so everyone, we get paid on a payment transaction. So it's okay. a win-win for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that basically we go in really as a credit card processor. And we're basically giving you added value, right, that you're providing to your customers. But ultimately, when that transaction goes through, that's when we all get paid. So what I found out, a lot of these ISVs weren't making money off of the payment transaction. Right. Right. They were missing out. So not only are we providing added value, but we're also providing new revenue. And we're talking basis points. So I get it. Mm -hmm. It has to be a lot of volume, right, for these transactions to make sense. So for us, we try to go after those high volume accounts. But again, we're doing a lot of things. Not only are we helping money get collected faster, but we're reducing overhead and customer service. We're adding value. It's a win-win. And so we're able to help an ISV generate incremental new revenue that they weren't receiving before, potentially. And again, only getting paid when a transaction goes through successfully. So mm-hmm. we offer like free texting, you know, we give away text messaging. It's nothing, the scheme right. of thing. And we'll make money when that car payment goes through. How do you, how do you look at your competition? You mentioned a few names there that I'm not sure you consider uh, competitors or more like uh, component providers to you. But is this a market you have to your own or do you have a heavy cutthroat yeah, competition, no, I, I should call it? <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, definitely with COVID, it definitely flooded in a competition. And the competition that mainly we're seeing is competing with the internal IT departments. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's that's a big one for us, you know, because they might have been texting before. They could have been reminded of somebody that they, uh, and again, it's somewhat bare bones a lot of times that the companies are doing. Because of COVID, they had to deploy a texting solution immediately. So they feel like, oh, no, they, like they have a solution. But, you know, really, we're finding that these are bare bones solutions that people are, are installing. You know, Twilio makes it very easy, you yeah. know, to send a text message. So there's no real science behind that. And it's very quickly get up and running. The science that comes down to it is how you apply that thinking within those use cases to collect money from somebody that basically stopped paying you. So with us, you know, we look at a competition in a number of different ways. We have the the payment processors. They're basically a competitor of ours. Um, Ultimately, that's how we get paid. So we look at payment processing and the companies within, you know, and then second is looking at messaging platforms that are trying to, to do this, like Podium, for instance. Right, they're a, they're a messaging platform. COVID hits, oh, let's add text to pay. You know, what right, I mean? <laughs> right. So now they're a competitor. So I think the market's going to be flooded, and again, that's why our strategy was not to go door to door, but to go after these ISVs and get there first, and basically penetrate all the technology companies and make it easy for them to get up and running. And then, really, our uh, our second way to do it was to basically partner up with all the payment processors. So yeah. we partner up with. First Datas of the World and Pfizer and FIS and TSIS and Global mm-hmm. Payment, we became integrated with them all, like immediately. As you know, I hired a, you know, a pretty solid big dev team that just focusing on integrations with all the payment processors. And we did that last year and a half ago, pre-COVID, not knowing where we are going, you know, going to be today. So we're agnostic. So that means that we can make money from 10 different payment processors that we have relationships for. So we're able to go in 
and maybe we can't convince somebody to change their processor, but if they, we know they're running on the same rails that we're already integrated with, it makes us that much easier to get up and running with them versus competitor coming in, trying to switch them. Like we don't have to switch them. We can yeah, keep them yeah. right where they're at. Very good. So talking about an internal IT department as a as a competitor, that's something I see with a lot of startups that try to provide an externalized service, right? It's always hard to convince the developers to give up the full control, if you will. How do you go around that? You know, myself, I've been a developer for about 20-something years now, so I've been building software, and I was the original developer and coder on this project. So over the years, I built up a, a really solid dev team that really has been with me for now well over a decade. So I have very loyal programmers, and we've been working together for such a long time. But on the customer side, how do you convince them to kind of outsource a functionality like this rather than building their own? Because again, going back to the payment transaction, they're already outsourcing that already. So yeah. for us, it makes it very simple. And not simple in the sense that to get the deal, but it makes it simple in the sense that the integration is pretty standardized across yeah. the board yeah. as far as how information is being collected. There's only so much information on a credit card transaction, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So the one thing that, we're, that we really added was that required the mobile phone number. So for integration, we've rapidly... We're able to deploy the system really sometimes within minutes, sometimes within hours or days. But it makes it very easy, especially today with REST APIs, you know, a lot of, a lot of these plug and play components that we've built. It makes it very easy for these companies to digest. They don't have to spend months with right. integration. So I think having a thought out API structure that makes it easy for those developers to go online, see your documentation run examples online themselves, which they can do, use our tool, and they can see how easy it is to basically you know, work with our APIs. And that gives the developers or the internal company a comfort. Because a lot of times you're not, you know, you're talking to a decision maker, but ultimately they're relying on their in-house dev team for a yes or no, if this makes mm -hmm. sense. It sounds like you're almost treating the, the internal dev team more as or positioning them more as gatekeepers, potential gatekeepers, as long as you keep them comfortable, then they will go with your solution. Exactly. For the most mm -hmm. part, getting ahead of product to really buy in that this is a win-win opportunity to get to market faster. I wanted to hear a little bit about your uh, funding strategy. You've raised uh, first a seed round and then a Series A, I believe, two years ago. Is that something you're pursuing further or are you saying, no, we're kind of done with raising and uh, just uh, living off our own positive cash flow from now? Yeah, no, great question. So in my mindset, you know, I set out to build a unicorn, so I can't yeah. stop. And I know I'm going to need a, <laughs> lot, a, buttload of, a lot more money to get there. And then where does it look like if we want to go global, which we really do? Yeah. You know, so so we have to raise more money and some mm -hmm. serious money. So, you know, for us, it's like how far, can, you know, when can I, you know, as long as I continue to push the valuation up. Yeah. And then for us, it's like a timing thing. And I, it was a three months or six months from now. But I can tell you that window is no longer than it's not a year. I mean, we're the, the, at the rate that we're growing, we know within the next three to six months, we are doing a series B round. Yep. Right? There's no, there's, it's just the natural progression of how mm -hmm. things are evolving. And then for us, there's a lot of money, as you see out there in the market right now, there's yep. a lot of money. My inbox is full of every VC or private equity that's trying to get in front of me. That's um, good. You know, yeah, it's a good <laughs> the luxury of choice, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, so it's more strategic, you know, what value 
we, you know, I'm very much, you know, looking into their portfolio and their companies within there that can become everywhere customers and yeah. really help. So that's the type of money, that type of relationships that I'm working on today with the different VC partners is mm-hmm. really taking a look at, you know, how are they going to help everywhere at the end of the day? And that kind of value to me is worth, you know, it's weight in gold. Like, that's what, you know, the real money is because they're the ones that are going to help you you know, get to that unicorn status. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you've set up your team? Is it still primarily engineering and product people or is there a sizable go-to-market side as well? And how are you splitting up? Uh, how are you thinking about splitting up further investments in the team? Yeah, that's no, a great question because even, you know, even on my weekly status call, that you know, we're getting out of the mindset of being a technology first company yeah. to becoming a sales, you know, machine, you know what I yeah. mean? So, mm-hmm. So right now we've been so much focusing on our technology. Now it's time to more, you know, really focusing on our, our strategy to really blow this thing up in our sales and marketing. And that's what we haven't done in the last couple of years. We've been focused so much more on our technology. A lot has to do with me being a programmer for so long and not, and I only stopped programming like 12 months ago. So mm-hmm. that was, you know, a challenge for me to kind of, you know, release that, you know, to our, uh, dev team and get out of the you know get out of it myself so now it's the mindset is now focusing on sales and marketing that's where we're raising money that's where we're focusing it on for 2021 so that that mindset from technology first to sales first is that is that that shift is happening right now okay okay and it sounds like most of the team is still on the technology side but you're starting to build out the sales and marketing side is that correct that is correct you know what I mean? Okay. So we're looking to hire, for instance, like a head of sales. So for the most part, the sales operation being run by myself and my partner, Scott Olinsky. And now yep. we're looking to hire a dedicated, we recently hired, you know, throughout COVID, we actually made three hires and all mm. three hires were sales. <laughs> so <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So we know that we're going in that direction. And now, but everyone previously, like you said, it's more technology or product support. Yep. You know, exactly. And then you build, built a really strong core there, right? It is a normal step on the path to becoming a unicorn. Absolutely. Okay, very good. So what's the, you know, some listeners that are hearing this and uh, may say, well, you know, I have some great experience in sales or in marketing or something similar. What makes for a good everywhere team member? What are the kind of people you select? What are the kind of people you'd rather not work with? Yeah, you know, it's tough for taking somebody from big corporate. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> and they call it startup grind for a reason. At this stage, especially with you know 25 employees, you wear multiple different hats right now, and we're trying to get away from that. But still, you're coming into a mix of where it's startup grind. So you might have been hired for marketing, but you're helping out as a project manager on the tech team, right. right? So to have somebody that's able to deal with that, right, and not be like, oh, no, that's not my job description. Again, so taking somebody from corporate to me, Unless they have that startup experience or worked with a startup before or understand, they have to be looking for something much more in life than mm-hmm. a job, right? That's what I look at it. You know, you want somebody that basically is a big thinker too. So, and for us, there's a lot of input. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're, it's our team that's helping come up with some of these ideas, right? And so they're the ones that are communicating with the ISVs. They understand the challenges in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So, to really get some top quality thinkers, you know, on our team is really what we're looking for. And when it comes to the sales side of things, again, I think the software and the system, I think do a good job at selling them itself, but we're looking for, 
you know, again, salespeople that are that are that are hungry and driven. When you look at your founder journey, uh, what would you say are some of the biggest learnings you would like to impart on founders coming right behind you that may not be as quite as far in their journey yet? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I, and again, it probably goes back to maybe that I just said before about being a grind. Like you have yeah. to be willing to grind it out. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to, I believe, also like willpower. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the survival instincts inside of you that no matter what, you're not going to die. Like yeah. you're going to stay in the fight until it kills you. Like you just like there's no matter what, you can never give up. Like you have to see it all the way through. Because you look at everyone else that came before you and you look at, you know, that whether, again, most recently, maybe even pick Elon Musk and and Tesla, where, you know, again, a year ago, I mean, this guy was the poorest guy on earth and everyone was against him. And it was now look at 12 months later, he's the richest company out there in in the market. So, you know, again, you know what I mean? But he's stayed persistent. He went, you know, didn't get all hung up in all the noise and, you know, all the naysayers, you have to block all that out, you know, that's right. You know, as a founder, you have to be, if you're passionate about it and you're going to put in all the effort and work, it's going to pay off. It just might take a few years. A lot might take long. It always takes longer than you expected. Oh yeah. Yeah. No question. Right. When I first came up with the everywhere, I, uh, everywhere, I was five and a half years ago, again, being at the resorts and man, I didn't know anything about healthcare. I didn't know a thing (laughs) about nonprofits and churches and all that, you know what I mean? And a name like everywhere, I was like, man, you know, what am I getting myself into? But you know, I remember my wife telling me I was nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So again, you, but you get through all that noise, you get through the other side of it and you're having fun and it becomes exciting. It becomes a thrill. And that's what you're ultimately after is that thrill ride. It is. And it's the journey open more than the outcome, right? That you should focus on to, to keep your persistence up. Yeah, and that's what I always say, right? It's about the journey. And I, I wouldn't really change anything. All those no's or all the people that kicked me out of their office. Or, <laughs> you know, and, and again, I even had Mark Cuban told me that it was too big of an idea, TechCrunch. And I'll never forget it. You know what I mean? He was like, yeah, no, nah, it's too big of an idea. It's never going to happen. And that was, you know, yeah. and that was, again, <laughs> that was just, you know, in concept stage. And, and, um, so it's good to prove people wrong. It's a good feeling. And I think that helps drive you too, is when people say no to you or turn you down in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, I think that becomes a driving force for you to succeed even more. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the whole point of entrepreneurship is that you see things that other people don't see because if they did, it would already be there, right? Exactly, right. Uh, if you don't get enough no's, there's something wrong with your idea too, I would say. Exactly. Okay, very good. Well, and then the last question is, uh, any listeners to this podcast, how can they help everywhere become even more successful? What do you need? What kinds of inquiries are you looking for? And where can they go for more information? Yeah, so a lot of times, you know, especially your podcast, you have a lot of entrepreneurs that are out there today building software and all these different verticals. Mm -hmm. And if we can help them and create that win-win where, you know, again, and I'm I'm open source in the sense that they want to you know, use our code for free and, and okay. test things out and try it. And and again, and we offer, you know, really high revenue share programs for our ISVs as well. Excellent. You know, and I, I look for that win-win. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're not a greedy company. So I look to help entrepreneurs any way I can. You know, I'm actually talking to you from Capital Factory, which is an accelerator in Austin, Texas. And, awesome. And I love being a part of Capital Factory. And, 
helping other entrepreneurs too, right? Get over some of those hurdles. So again, so, you know, I'm, you know, my LinkedIn information, I'm very transparent in open book. So, you know, happy to help, you know, other entrepreneurs with their ideas and, you know, and again, if they want to help us even better. So. Excellent. Um, and uh, next to that, I understood you were hiring primarily on the sales and marketing side. So people can go to your job site as well, I'm sure. And investors that might be interested in taking part in your B round, if you want an intro to Larry, then I'm happy to provide there as well. Absolutely. Always interested. Excellent. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Larry Talley, founder and CEO of Everywhere. Such an impressive company. Thank you so much for being part of this Silicon Valley podcast. Thank you, Roland. It was great to be here. Thank you so much. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more tech news and interviews with some of the brightest minds in tech today.